0: Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, Launch your own label or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. And today I am chatting with Kristen Anderson, who has lived and breathed so much in the world of lingerie and swimwear. She has worked for brands, she had a venture in starting her own brand, and now she is a full time freelancer. And doing a lot of lingerie and swimwear, but also stuff beyond that in the startup space. And Kristen shares her whole story. There is so much advice in here. Advice in here, whether you're working on your career and trying to land your first job or your second job or get promoted. Um, Kristen shares all about how she got her first job in the industry and how she worked her way up up the ranks. And then when she decided to quit and go freelancing and where some of her first clients come came from and how she knew how she figured out you know presenting her portfolio and figuring out her rates and putting to their contracts so much great advice if you are out there as a freelancer um, or maybe thinking about freelancing and you're in a full-time job right now and you're thinking should I do this should I not do this um, Kristen shares her whole story on, on how she decided to do it and what her, her process looked like so I'm really really excited for you to hear the interview Thank you so much for listening, and as always, before we get started, um, I want to tell you that SFD is way more than just a podcast. We have tons of free resources on landing your dream job, freelancing your portfolio we talk about a few of these resources in the interview so some of those will be linked in the show notes Um, and I've got tons of tutorials on Adobe Illustrator you'll notice that at Kristen's first job she did get put on the spot with an illustrator uh, task that she had to do with the the hiring manager sitting right next to her Um, so you guys need to be up to speed on these things and I have free resources to help you get there. Illustrator tech packs all sorts of stuff Um, and I hear all the time I, I say this as a humble brag, but I do hear all the time that my free resources are better than what you learn within what people have learned in four years of fashion school. So please, please, please do yourself a favor and check them out. Um, go to so slash email. It's S E W H E I D I.com slash email. And you can get all the free resources. I have mentioned the best of my best free stuff. I will deliver it right to your inbox. Um, I also hang out on Instagram. If you would like to connect with me there, I am there as well at So Heidi S-E-W H E I D I. So I would love to connect with you both on email and Instagram. Check out those links. Um, as always, you can access the show notes by scrolling down wherever you're listening. And now let's jump into the interview with Kristen. Welcome to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Kristen, can you please start by letting everyone know who you are and what you do in the fashion industry?
1: Sure, my name is Kristen Anderson. And I am a lingerie and swimwear designer that works with direct-to-consumer startups to help them get their products launched.
0: Awesome. Um, so tell us a little bit about the background of your career in fashion. How did you get started in the industry? Did you go to fashion school?
1: Yeah. So I went to a fashion school um, in Massachusetts, Massachusetts called Framingham State University. And I, it didn't have like any kind of um, program where you could specialize in anything, Things. So when I went to school, I had thought that I had wanted to design, like, party dresses. Um, and it was a really wonderful place, but I ended up getting into lingerie, which was which was much, much more interesting.
0: How did you wind up getting into lingerie? Uh,
1: well, actually, uh, a good friend of mine in school, you know, I graduated in, like, the worst economy. It was 2009, uh, so it was uh, just, like, right after everything <laughs> happened in yeah. 2008. Um, it was just like a terrible time to graduate. So it took me about a year after graduating. And then a girl that I graduated with, or I had went to school with her, and she graduated the year the year after I did. She got a job at this company called Bennett and & Company. And they were hiring another assistant, assistant designer. So she reached out to me because she knew I had been still looking for that first job. Um, and, you know, I, I, went, I went in. Uh, I got up really early that day. It was like... It was so early because it was two and a half hours away.
0: So Oh, gosh. I, got, like,
1: five in the morning. I drove up there for like an 830 interview. Uh, and um, it, it was like, like it went off without a hitch. I got I got offered the job, the job like on the spot. And uh, oh, wow. The hardest part about it, it. It was wonderful, but it was also really terrible because it was such a low paying job, oh. job. And I like it, uh, it was so awful. And I like I knew I had to take it like there was no other option.
0: Yeah. So, so why do you think you got the job offer on the spot? I mean, that rarely happens, especially in fashion. And, you know, here you were a year after graduation, you hadn't landed anything. And then all of a sudden you get an offer on the spot. Why do you think that, that it went down that way? Um, well, you know,
1: I, I went in early and I met with the senior designer her name was Reagan uh she she had me you know do like a couple of little sketches on a computer in her office while while she was like sitting right next to me and, and I was so nervous and I was like I don't know how long I should take on this how <laughs> like you know should I be feeding should I be like going going as fast as I can like, yeah. should I be making it as good as possible I don't yeah. know so I'm like stressing out the whole time I'm like next to her her and I, I just like I kind of do it as fast as I can but as good as I can too and I was like is this good like like what do you think and she she gives me some feedback and I think I do a couple more sketches or something and then I you know she really likes me I can tell like she she needs help a lot like I could see her by the state of her office <laughs> she needs like really like a lot of help yeah there's just like papers skewed everywhere it's like it's like a hot mess and so like I think she could tell that I was really eager. I was really like organized. I think I had brought like an extra project that I had done like very quickly to, um, try and try and like woo them in a way. Um, and also, you know, while I was working for that, you know, that I was working at like a consignment shop while I was looking for that first fashion job. Okay. And while I was working there, I was like, come home every night. And I was, I would sketch and I would do illustrator and I would make my own like collections of just like anything I could think of. Yeah, And a lot of it was, of it was like party dresses, but I think that they could see that I had a lot of um, like feminine driven aesthetic just from the whole essence of my portfolio. So I think they could see how I could transition easily into it.
0: Mm-hmm. Even before I saw that. Ah, uh, Interesting. So you had kept yourself um sort of in the loop and just practicing and kept your chops up by doing additional work at night even though you're working retail consignment during the day and then and building your portfolio and doing a bunch of projects even though they were self-directed and that it sounds like that was a lot of what you showed them or that was pretty much all that you showed them that's what you had and probably some some projects from school yeah
1: Yeah, I mean I and I, I definitely brought a lot into that first uh, <laughs> interview. Like, I, I make a, a much more tailored, more tailored effort now, but um, I, I think I just kind of threw everything I had. I had like all my soul flats. I had like a little tech pack I had made. Yeah. I had, you know, our, I got prints that I had made. I, I had like a, anything that I felt excited to show and maybe maybe some things that I probably shouldn't have been Oh, I to think show, we've
0: but. all been in that state, in that situation, right? <laughs> Yeah, sure, sure. uh, and so okay so you got your first job as an assistant designer there doing um lingerie and what happened then how long did you stay there did you advance or what was your next move
1: yeah um so i was reagan's, reagan's assistant for about seven months and reagan had like all of the all of the accounts in the business except for like three of them uh which were like big ones they, like you know she she managed she managed a lot but um I was her assistant for seven months, and then uh, one of the bigger the bigger accounts they had a need for another designer, and so it was the Lane Bryant Bryan account and and also Catherine's, um, and so you know they needed this other designer, and I had been pushing for more, more work and more responsibility because I was like really eager and excited, and so so uh, I got this opportunity to work on the, the Lane Bryant account, and so I got promoted really quickly quickly. I I became an associate designer after seven months. Um, and then I, and then I owned that brand. So I owned the Lane Bryant account. I, you know, would fly out to Columbus and and show them my presentations. I would work on the samples and put in all of the like specs and try and figure out how to get the samples looking exactly as they should. And, um, I did that for maybe another year, year and a half. Um, and then and then the company had some troubles because Fredericks and Hollywood went out of business and that was, like, one of the, uh, their big accounts.
0: Mm. So
1: they had to, like, go of like, a huge portion of their design staff staff, and I was one of the, like, more recent people. people, So I was one of the people let go, unfortunately. Ah. Um, which, gosh, at the time, it felt so awful. It was like, oh, my God, I got let go for my, for my first fashion job. What am I going to do? And it felt so terrible. But... It, it was like literally the best thing that probably could have ever happened to me so yeah. i think <laughs> i think it was really in hindsight um very beneficial and i think everything in the universe universe happened for a reason and it, it gives me hope that that anything bad that happens like i can always turn it into something good
0: yeah um, so what happened next well, that that was such a good thing to happen to you
1: uh well so so i first you know, I went into my first foray in freelancing, which was kind of awful. Um, <laughs> um, I won't lie; it was, I, I I didn't know of you yet. Uh, you you know, there wasn't wasn't a lot of things that were that were helpful tools yet. The internet was like a dark, scary, deep western place, kind of. Um, you know, there's
0: you had to make your own
1: invoices. Like you had to like really hustle for clients. It was really really hard. Um, but I worked for a couple of little startups that never quite really got off the ground. I did a lot of sketching. I did a lot of things, but I, I, I was only capable of so much at that point, so it wasn't like I was super successful with that. But I did that for about a year and a half, and I was tired. I was so ready to like get a real job, like a full-time job, stop trying to grind, because it was just not, com- not coming together. It wasn't making ends meet. It was... It was hard, and I almost, almost gave up several times. Like I, 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 got down to the wire several times, but I didn't give up. Give up. Instead, I kept going. Um, um, and at one, at one point in I think October, I applied for a job at a dormy. And what happened after that was so crazy. But my previous boss at Bennett and Company was actually actually a client at a dormy, or a a provider of a a dormy for lingerie, dressing lingerie. And the day after I applied for that job, my old boss was in their office. And who would become my new boss, Helen, asked my old boss, Colette, about me.
0: Ah, interesting.
1: And Colette just gave her, like, a really glowing review about how awesome and wonderful I was. And so Helen emailed me, like like, within a couple hours and she had me like asked if I could come in the next day for an interview and it was like uh I was working a temp job as well so I was like um no I I don't think I can give them that short of notice but um maybe maybe on Monday and so I think that was like a Thursday and it was the Monday of Columbus Day and uh so on Monday I you know I, I lived in my I lived in the North Shore of Boston but I I my mom lived in Lived in Connecticut, so we drove down to Connecticut for the weekend. And then on Monday, my now husband, uh, then boyfriend, drove me to the train station in New in New Haven. I, I, you know, was on the train. I'm going to the interview, and the whole time I'm in the interview or on the train, I'm thinking, thinking I could just turn around, I could go back. I don't have to go on this in this interview. Oh, you had like one of those anxiety
0: moments where you're just like, can I just give Uh, up on the whole thing?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. The only other instance that I had gone into the city for any any job for any fashion interview it was a terrible experience. It was awful. It was oh. like somebody looked at my portfolio for five seconds uh, said i don 't know why I don't know why the recruiter sent you and then like oh. basically left me.
0: you had been scarred so, so badly
1: it, it, yes oh, oh. I was so scarred and, so, and that was like years ago. that was years ago, but it was still like like i I just didn't want to go to the interview, and so I'm like, talk, almost talking myself out of like leaving this. Oh, I know the exact feeling.
0: Office. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, but I didn't do that. Wait, going, but did like, you? My brain had a different plan.
0: And at this stage, did you know that your old boss had told Helen how amazing you were? Uh. Or that they had even had a conversation? I don't. Know that,
1: I don't I okay. Don't know if, I think I learned that much later. Actually, I. Okay. Think, I don't think I think I had any idea that caught talk to her until okay. after my interview.
0: Okay, because that might have given you some confidence, yeah. but otherwise you're going in like kind it, of blind. It, okay.
1: Yeah, it probably would have. But um <laughs> you
0: know,
1: the, like everything about it kind of just like it was like it was like the stars aligning. My my brain didn't let me do that. I, I made it all the way to the interview. One of the one of the things that like had also previously like aligned some of the boxes was that I had this like other free Freelance job that had come up and it was desert, designing, you know, plus, plus size curvy bras. And this enabled me to have a lot more bras in my portfolio. Mm. So I had these, all of these sketches and like a trend board for this new project that was like really focused on their product category. Um, and, and I was more focused on Int- intimate by then, anyways, because I had been like, you know, I'd been three years in or whatever. But yeah, but I had a lot more um, specific to bras because I wasn't really a bra designer. I was a lingerie designer, which they are kind of different. It's weird. But I had all of these things, though, that kind of came together in a perfect way. And I had this interview with Helen, and it felt so much more like a conversation versus an interview. I wasn't, like, stressed out the whole time. Oh, I good. wasn't, like, ready, ready. <laughs> It was just, like, a great interview. And she just made me feel so confident and so at ease. And I had prepared so much. I had, like... All of my favorite brand. I knew all of my favorite lingerie brands. I knew all of the re- the reasons why I liked them. I knew what I would change about what Adore Me was doing. I knew what I would like focus in on if I was going to like. So I had all of these things prepared, and I felt really put together, but I still felt terrified. You know, <laughs> I, but she put she put me at so much more ease. Yeah. Um, and then, but then you know she's like, well, I have to have my CEO interview you too, and i was like, I was oh um, so I'm really stressed out cause he's like, I didn't really do too, too much research on him. And so he, he comes into the room and he like slinks in the chair a little bit and oh, he was, he was very intimidating and he asked me what I knew about him and I was like, like, um, oh, I know your dad, like, has some, some fashion, you know, businesses in France, um, and then I'm, like, I was like trying to think, like, I know you started this company re- pretty, pretty recently, I know, like, your mom at Business model and, like, I just started telling him things I knew about Adore Me more than him, but, anyways, he was, he was very, like, shy, kind of, and he's been, he still kind of is Morgan, um, but, but it, I just, I just didn't know how to read him, or how I did at all, so I was just, like, super nervous, yeah. and then, and then Helen came back in, and you know we, we kind of said goodbye and whatnot, and like we'd be in touch. They only had a few more interviews. They were looking to move fast, that kind of thing. You know, they were fast moving startups. So, uh, you know, I left. I felt a lot better after I left. I was like, thank God it's <laughs> over. Um, it was really terrifying. But yeah. And uh, then you got I the job. The
0: train. Yeah. Go sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I'll let you. I,
1: I, I mean. I mean it was crazy it was crazy because it was kind of like the same a very similar situation to that first job I got, and it wasn't that I got the job the job like on the spot, but the train from Grand Central to New Haven is about two hours long. I got from the train train to New Haven I got in my husband's car my boyfriend at the Times car and we barely got on the highway and I got a phone call from a New York number and I was petr- petrified oh, by, and I couldn't answer it. And I, I was like, no, I can't answer it. What if it's done? Why would they be calling me? What if it's done? And then I, mean, I just didn't answer it. <laughs> and, and it was Helen and she was calling to leave me a voicemail telling me they were offering me the job and sending me an email with the offer shortly. And she wanted to congratulate me herself.
0: Oh, that's amazing.
1: It was the greatest, and then I was like, I think I called her back, and I was like, sorry, <laughs> I was like really scared. Yeah, and she was like, oh,
0: she really about it, but. But yeah, I want to yeah, point it was out. Crazy. Yeah. I want to point out a couple of things that I think are really important. And they are trends that I've heard over and over on the podcast from designers like yourself who, you know, they get offers, they continually get offers. Um, There's two things I I hear in your story. One, um, at least for the second job, is that you had a very focused portfolio specifically on what, on their product. And it was something that they could look at their portfolio and they could visually look at your portfolio and they could visually see how you would be an asset to their team based on the designs you've already done. So having that portfolio match is so important. Not having something that's all over the place, right? And you've got denim and active and lingerie and sweater knits and everything under the sun. You have stuff that specifically speaks to them. So, so, so important. Um, something I talk about very extensively in my ultimate, my free ultimate guide to portfolios. And we'll link to that in the show notes. If anyone's struggling with your portfolio, check that out. But second is you you did all that research on who you were interviewing with and in the company and you went in really prepared. And even though maybe you hadn't researched the CEO as much as you maybe could have, because you didn't know you were interviewing with him, you still knew a little bit. Um, but spending that time to prepare People can tell when you come into an interview prepared with all of that versus you coming in blindly. And I think a lot of people go in blindly and that just doesn't cut it. So, <laughs> you know, you going in so prepared and having ideas for them and what you would do for their, their assortment and um, just all those things and having done research on the actual people is so, so, so valuable. And I mean, I know you had also gotten that glowing review from, from Colette, your old boss, but those other things go so far in this industry.
1: Oh, I totally agree. I, I think, I think focusing and tailoring your portfolio is probably one of the best and most important things that you can do. Yeah. Because what it really does is show people what you care about working on. Yeah. Why would I put things I don't care about working on in my portfolio? I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on what I like.
0: Yeah. So valuable. Um, okay. So how long did you wind up staying there? And where are we in the timeline? Cause you had graduated. And so where are we like? 2013, uh, 14, something like that. Yeah.
1: yeah. 2013 is okay. where I got the job at Adore dormy. So, yep. So I, you know, I, man, that was, it was crazy time because I was living in the Boston area. I had an apartment with my boyfriend. We had to move really quickly and it didn't really work out that way. Um, so my boyfriend had to keep his job. We were living apart for a little while. I moved back to my mom's house, and I was commuting into New York three hours each way. Oh my day. gosh! It was a hard part of my life.
0: Yeah, how um, long did you do that for? It was very
1: hard. About um, about two and a half, three months or so. Okay. Uh, it wasn't very long. Yeah, but, but still. then I got an apartment with some girls in New York. Okay, and then that helped. Um, and I waited kind of for my, my boyfriend to get his job situated so he could come. Um, um, but I was, I was at a dormant total for about, uh, a little over three years. Okay. Um, and it, it was like a, a crazy place to be because it was so small in the beginning and there was just a few of us. And I was the first designer hired after Helen. So Helen was like the head of design and I was her, her like, you know, one-man show kind of because I was like trying to make everything happen with her um and so we were sourcing factories we were um, designing new bras and panty you know collections and we were also the merchandisers we were planning the procurement and the deliveries and like everything so it was was like a crazy crazy time um and it was like that for almost two years it was like a year and almost two years and and at that point I eventually got an assistant who like became my lifesaver and actually she's still still my best friend. Um, oh cool. So so I got my assistant, uh, Ariana, and then we also hired a technical designer who ended up becoming the design manager who's still there. Her name's Colleen leung Um and so you know, I helped hire a lot of people and, and get these people in place. We got, we got, like, a production manager and a lot of different different roles filled out between that, like, that after that second year of working there to, to the third year, we hired, like, eight or nine people for our team, which was, like, crazy fast explosion of growth for us. Um, and, you know, all, all that time, I'm also, like, we're, we're also, like, managing the whole collection collection because we're launching new products every month so it's like it's a crazy crazy workload um long hours but very very worthwhile it it kind of gives you a whole new sense of like, like how to build something when you do it like that and and from the ground up and you know just like buying new finding new manufacturers even like we we went from sourcing swimwear that was like completely just designed and manufactured by somebody else that like we just bought to finding, you know, our own factories and then directing all of the swimmer ourselves within like a year and a half of time. And I mean, it was, it was crazy. And we were doing that with every category too. It wasn't just swimmer. It was just like, how fast can we get as much of our own product here as possible? Because that's not how they started. They were starting like by, by buying stuff. And that was just like a means to another end, which was we need to design our own collection. Yeah. And so from that whole period, it was just like tremendous growth. It, Adore Me itself was just like a crazy rocket ship of lingerie fueled wonder. Yeah. Um, it, it grew from like 5 million to almost 14 million to 45 to like nine eighty 80 or 90. But by the time I left, it was, wow.
0: it was crazy. That's crazy. So yeah, you... it was, it was, go ahead. It
1: was a, probably like the coolest thing to be a part of. Like, and I think that it, it, it just made me understand, like what I love and that is startups and everything about building from beginning to end.
0: Ah, interesting. So does that lead us to your freelance endeavors? Sort of,
1: uh, (laughs) in a weird way. Um, I, so, so I actually ended up Leaving a Me because I really wanted to start my own bra company. Okay. And so, I, I, I found another job, uh, a company called Swim USA, which was the is like the one of the biggest swimmer manufacturers. And this job was kind of promising me more work life balance. And so I took it, and it was it was a much more work life balance kind of job. I, you know, I had a, like a more senior position. And, and, um, it was just, it was nice, and I did a lot more design work versus like, like everything. Uh, okay. And I needed to like focus on one part of that for, for, for in like if I was going to launch my own brand, like I needed to have at least buckets that I could put things in, and so it was nice to have a to have a bucket where I was like really design focused in my job and not everything focused because I had to be everything focused for the other one. Yeah. Um, so. I started that, and that was like crazy hard. I made so many mistakes. Uh, it with was your own just, with your own brand. Uh, yes. Okay. Which was, was, was called Fearless Co. Um, it was I was trying to design a bra that uh, would help with like back fat because I've always struggled with you know having kind of these fleshy bits
0: that kind of kind of yep. hang
1: over when you have good fitting bra on.
0: Yep. Um, <laughs> I think so every woman, had, pretty much every woman, knows that feeling. <laughs>
1: I know it's like i it, it's still like a big problem in my opinion and like i i put the the, pro- the project to bed for a while and it's like on long-term hiatus but who knows maybe i'll open it up again because it's it is like a, a an annoyance to me still um and i and my bra would solve the problem it was just like the manufacturer wasn't capable to of fixing all of the correct the corrections and you know we just went round and round and circle 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 of you fix one thing, but you wouldn't fix the other four. And, um, but eventually, I just kind of, kind of. I think, I think sometimes ideas like they leave you, leave you, and it's because you don't
0: move fast enough. Uh,
1: have you ever read the book *Big Mag Magic*
0: by I think Elizabeth Gilbert? I have read she it. About that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I, I think that that's that's kind of what happened to me. I think my idea like, uh, like left it just left and it was like I wasn't passionate about it anymore and you know I was I was burning myself myself out I was in pain a lot I hurt my back at some point in this whole mess mess, like it was just not healing and like nothing was there was a lot my body was fighting against me with my job with my uh my first my first business it was not happy with me
0: and you're working full-time at the swimwear company too
1: this whole time okay Uh okay so
0: you're doing this all like nights and weekends
1: Yep, yeah, nights, and, week- nights okay. and weekends mornings uh, like all the time. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, my body rebels against me and it's like, no, don't do don't do that. Stop yeah. stop doing that. Um eventually I think I just have to listen and and again, I feel like kind of like the ideal leaves me parts of it, parts of it like felt off all along in ways. Um you know, I wanted it to be really body positive and then I was like but then I'm telling people to use like this thing that gets rid of back fat. But I'm like, but I hate the back fat. But I, I would feel more positive about my about my body if I could get rid of that. And like i like, the whole idea is like so counter and like complete conflict, conflicting in my mind. But I'm also like, I'm still like, I don't know, torn about it. But I just felt like eventually it it, it just wasn't wasn't something I could keep pursuing. And I I think a lot of it was that I just wore too. Too many hats, and I I didn't ask for help when I needed it. and yeah. I didn't use my network, and I think I I learned so many things. I actually I, I wrote like a, a post mortem about it because like why did I kill this? How did I kill it? And um, I think it's in that kind of reflection that you that you can really understand like what to, what the take, good take-away takeaways are, and, and the good takeaways were what got me to my, my next business, which was that that I just can't be everything. And so I need to be the best damn something I can be at whatever I'm good at. And and that that became much more of a driving force. Uh, um, and so I ended up – I mean, this is a long, long story. I've gone from a lot of jobs. It took a long time to get here. <laughs> I ended up – last summer I ended up leaving Swim USA – I took took a few months off. Um me and my husband, we we traveled to Bali. Um I had a few like freelance customers at the time, they were kind of small, so it wasn't like a big big thing. Um but when we got back, I had all these plans for how I was going to come back and, and no, nothing comes out the way you expect. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to go back to Swim USA and and freelance with them like two or three days a week and And that didn't end up happening um, just for a myriad, myriad of reasons, but but mostly because I just wasn't, my heart wasn't in it. And so I tried to think about what I wanted wanted to do. And that was kind of the point of Bali. And I thought I would figure everything out while I was in Bali. I thought Bali would be all of the answers, but it wasn't. It doesn't happen magically overnight on the timeline that you want things to happen.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so this was just summer of 2019. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is pretty recent. So I, I,
1: yeah. So, well, I skipped around a few things, but in, in January, February of last year, 2019, I got my first freelance job as like my, uh, as this business, as my self-titled design studio.
0: Where so, did the, Where did that job come so from?
1: Those jobs came from referrals, and it came from somebody like that I was never expecting to refer me. But she had moved, and since she was like living in Boise, and there was a company out there, it was just weird. Weird, but it ended up paying for like a a whole new computer setup that I was reluctant to pay to buy before with my first business, and it like just opened a lot of doors, and um, it made me realize I could I could do business on my own because. I also had another friend that I had met through this like project entrepreneur thing that I had gotten with fearless. And this friend Alina, she had told me like, you know, I need help like you, but I want you to have a website. Why don't you make a website? and Tell me what you can do. And I'm like, okay. And then I'll make a website. (laughs) And then I made a website. And so all of these like little things, things, they kind of added up. It it all happened like in probably between December of or maybe mid mid two thousand eighteen to mid early January of two thousand nineteen. But I've been like plotting away and building this thing, and and then I got that first job, and then that job it turned into a longer job than I thought it would, and um, then I started looking for jobs for jobs, and I got I got like one maybe in like April or something, and I still have them as a client right now. They're like it's ongoing all the time. Um, and it it just, it was weird. I like, I got another client right before we left for Bali and that's also still a client. And so I kind of kept these two clients and a third that I kind of like was hit or miss kind of in and out all the time. I kept them while I was in Bali. Okay. And that was really all I was like existing with, um, until November of last year, November of 2019.
0: We'll get back to this episode in 20 seconds, but real quick, did you know that the SFD podcast is sponsored by you? We don't interrupt your listening experience with ads and instead rely on your support. There are three ways you can do that. One, tell a friend about the podcast. Two, sign up for the email list at soheidi.com email. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I dot com email. Three, write a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for supporting the SFD podcast. Now back to the episode. Okay so hold on I want to stop you there because uh, we'll dive into November 2019 yeah. but I want to I want to talk about those first 3 clients because um, like really in detail, because I think this is where a lot of people get stuck. Like they might get like one or two by luck or by chance. And there might be in a similar position to you where they've already quit their full-time job or they want to quit their full-time job and they want to go into freelance. Um, But it's like, it can be hard to get over that initial hump. Okay. So the first client you got, you said this random thing came from like Boise, Idaho, and it was a referral. Had you like posted anywhere or been talking about the fact that you were starting to do freelancer you were looking and and that person got wind of it or how did that actually happen
1: um I don't think I had posted anything about it okay. I had made a portfolio website because I knew I was I was ready to look for another job actually okay Much like a full-time like okay yeah like I, I I had been in both of my jobs like at Adore Me, I had been a senior designer and at with Swim USA, I had been a senior designer, and there was just like nowhere else for me to go beyond that because these people that were design directors were not going to be retiring or leaving soon, mm, in my
0: opinion. Okay. So
1: I was like, I don't, I need to either find a design director job because I want that, I want the next level, or I need to do something on my own. And mm. like, so on my own didn't really come until somebody referred me. to somebody. Okay. Like that was like the the real like ah in a moment. Um, and they, I think they just referred me, it was oddly, it was like the merchandiser person who was like, basically I replaced her when I went to Adore Me. Okay. She wasn't a designer, but she was like the role I, that was there before I was there. And she was the one that referred me, which was odd because I actually never worked with her for a day, but she was a, a nice sweet girl and I really like her and, you know, we're so friendly. So she referred me, um when she heard somebody was looking for, like, a, a lingerie designer. And
0: Had you been keeping in touch with this person, like, at least very, very loosely on LinkedIn or something?
1: You know, we're, like, friendly, and I think, you know, we're on Instagram, where we are on LinkedIn. Yeah. She sent me a, a the message on LinkedIn and okay. asked if I was open for freelance, okay. and then I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And that's kind of how that whole, you know, unfolded, but...
0: But you also were, yeah, you follow each other on Instagram and like maybe every once in a while you like or comment on her posts or something like there was sort of the, was there always sort of a, a really loose touch between, hey, I'm still here or not not intentionally because it sounds like more you were just friends, but there was that component. Yeah or no? Yeah,
1: yeah there, there was. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it, to be honest, is like the startup world in general is very friendly and what it was was that this girl, Emily, she was still very involved with our people because she was dating the the guy that, like, sat behind me at Adore Me. Okay. So, she, like, she wasn't even coming into the office. Like, I wasn't even seeing her that often. Like, this is a long time ago. This is, like, when I first started. So, like, I had a, I guess, like, we hung out together a lot, you know, in the in the early days of Adore Me. So, we had some sort of relationship. It was... It was more than a, a random stranger, I guess. But at this at this point, we had not been really connecting regularly at all. Like, okay. This is many. This
0: is years later. So, okay, gotcha. Yeah, it was
1: it was very, very loose at this time. But, okay. But I think that that heard I heard it said that there's um, strength in weak ties, and I
0: think that that's yeah. Better. Oh, I've never heard it put that way, but I love that strength in weak ties. Yeah. Yeah. And so I w- I wasn't trying to like force something that wasn't there, but I was curious because I think that a lot of times those are the relationships that people have where it's like, "Oh, you know, yeah, we're connected on Instagram, we're connected on LinkedIn and like maybe I engage with their content every once in a while and I'm not doing anything intentional or strategic, but like I care about them as a person and yeah. and we we have this, you know, weak connection, um, or loose connection and and then those are where some, I see a lot of the opportunities sort of start snowballing. And so I was just curious to dig into that a little bit to see if that was there. Um, and it sounds like it maybe well, wasn't so much, I mean, but.
1: I, well, I think that's a lot of how these jobs happen, though, to be honest. Like, I think exactly. you're totally right. Yeah. I mean, another another one that comes to mind of, at the moment is that, like, during during coronavirus, like, when it when it first started, I had. I acquired a new client because somebody I went to college with, his wife wanted to start a product, and so he thought of me, and then he, you know, it just kind of tumbled from there. But yeah. like I, like I hadn't talked to him in years, you know. Yeah. So it's totally true.
0: Okay, so 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 the first one, Boise, Idaho, loose connection, barely in touch, came through LinkedIn um, message, and then you said you got another client I think like two yep. more maybe so one like right before you went to Bali and one I forget when the other one came so tell us how did those people come
1: to be honest I think both of them came from um, Upwork probably. oh really and and yeah and I don't even really use Upwork so
0: so wait um, did you have a profile on there and they reached out to you or tell me a little bit about that
1: um I think I did, like, apply to a job at some, like, at some point. I think I applied to their posting, and for both of these, it was, like, a very, like, long, long, drawn-out process, and it wasn't even, like, it just, I think one of them, like, they started the hiring process in, like, May, and it wasn't until, like, July that they decided to, to actually hire somebody, and then by then... It wasn't even through Upwork anymore at all because it, they had just completely the whole company had changed. It had like exploded a little bit, and mm-hmm. they needed help. And I don't know. Um, I know you're not supposed to not go through like go around Upwork, so oh, it's gonna-
0: alright. We've I have a whole episode on how to get yourself off of Upwork. Um, <laughs> for someone who strategically like took their clients off Upwork, so it's fine. And I know it's it's you're not supposed to do it, so we'll forget you said that. But um. <laughs> So you went outside of Upwork and, and, um, but it initially did, the connection started there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, um, yeah, I think they were also like excited about the, the, like a website. Like, I think people really like when you have a website and you feel, you just feel like more legit. Um, I know a lot of freelancers just kind of don't have that presence and I was, I highly recommend, like, getting one because even if it's small and even if it's just, like, a little portfolio website, it's still, like, something.
0: Yeah. And, and these are all – is this all lingerie and swimwear clients so it's still very focused?
1: Um, right. Yeah, I mean, those – all of all of my first few clients were very lingerie and swimwear focused. Okay. Now I'm kind of in a more um, spread out uh, field because I'm I'm consulting on other things too. Like I'm not just leading design, but, okay, gotcha. um, yeah, a lot. it's all women's wear
0: basically essentially. At this gotcha. So, and then the other client used the first, th- first of the three, the third of the first three, you said you think probably maybe came from Upwork too. Um, is that right? I, I think maybe. so.
1: Yeah. I, like, I, I can't really remember how all of them came to be. I know one of them came from Upwork. Okay. okay. Um, I also, I also have like I'll really like my one of my favorite things to do to get clients is just like know who I like and who I want to work with. Yeah. And then go like backwards engineer it. So I I would go to their website. I would say like look at their look at what I think they're doing good, what what do they think they're doing bad and then kind of come up with a nice email that that frames it in a way that is polite and useful and gives them, you know, valuable feedback right away that they could like action on. So like maybe I, I would say, like you know, I um, I really love what you're doing. I think your whole brand message is great, blah blah blah. But I think that your user interface is a little hard to use, and maybe you could also face out all of your colors instead of just one color. Because I didn't know you had three colors. Of this, you know, and like just kind of give them whatever tangible, usable feedback I can possibly get.
0: Ah. that
1: almost gets a reply, at least. And I love be- that.
0: It's a strategy I talk about in my book on freelancing. Um, It's a free book on freelancing. I'll also link to that in the show notes, you guys, because this is a great, great, great strategy. Give them something of value. It's not just about throwing yourself out there and saying, hey, I'm a freelancer, hire me. It's like, no, provide them with some value right off the bat and some, even some constructive critique, which, you know, I think maybe you could feel a little nervous about, but like if you have an opinion about something that they could do better on, then give them that opinion. A lot of brands love to hear that stuff. And it sounds like you've had great success with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, really, I, I, I've definitely gotten jobs that way. So yeah,
0: that's so like, cool. It worked. I love that. It works. So how, um, okay, so a lot of stuff came from referrals and then you've done some pitching with providing like massive value and and some actionable advice right off the bat, which I love so much. Um, How are you navigating like pricing and contracts and all the stuff where I feel like so many freelancers get really, really stuck? Uh, It is a really,
1: it's really hard because (laughs) I feel like I, I hate I hate that it's like there's an, almost no option but hourly, in my opinion, because to me, projects in fashion especially have a tendency to skew out of control and mm-hmm. people don't understand what should be included in a project because they don't understand the stakes of the project. They don't understand the whole point, like the whole togetherness of it. So they believe that you know, certain things should be included. And so I just don't work with projects. Pricing ever um, but again, the trade-off is hourly, which isn't really great um, because it's still like trading time for money, yeah um, but you know it it, it it works at the moment, so currently what i what I offer for the most part is retainer based pricing. Um, I've not actually had anybody hire me without a retainer in like months, and I pretty much probably wouldn't be able to do it at this point because i ha- I'm like pretty full. Um, but I, I have retainer, retainer pricing. So basically, so basically, you know, all of my clients have the opportunity at every, at, at, at the beginning of each month to tell me how much they want to, you know, pay for, like, do you want 20 hours? Do you want 40 hours? Do you want whatever? Um, and you know, we talk about what's happening, like, are we getting a lot of samples in? Are we sending a lot of text outs out? Are we, you know, reviewing things? What are we doing? So we kind of figure out where, what we need for the month for the month. And then everybody pays in advance, so, so I don't have to wait until the thirty days or like I, I, I just I hate hate the idea of getting paid after I've done the work because I know I deliver, and so I've never had a client that wasn't pretty much all for this.
0: It's That's awesome, kind of
1: crazy, but just ask for it in, for it in
0: advance. Yeah, it's funny because um, I'm trying to think where I had the conversation, and I think it was. I don't think it's available publicly. It was a conversation, a panel, a freelance panel discussion that was part of a paid community that I ran for a while. But anyways, we talked a lot about um, as a freelancer, you are a business owner and you have to treat yourself with as much respect as a business owner as you are treating the the brand as a business. And so what that means is that you have to stand up straight and say, no, you can pay me in advance. Like, you know, and I, this might sound a little harsh. I'm trying to come up with a better word, but like, you know, you can have certain demands, which is not the word I want to use, but it sort of is, um, the point that we're trying to get across here, you can set the tone of, no, I am a business owner as well. And you're going to treat me, you know, you're not, I'm not going to be this pushover freelancer. Um, oh, absolutely. right. And I think that like, it can be really intimidating to have those conversations and to present yourself that way, especially in the beginning, when you're first getting started out and depending on like how much industry experience you have before that, but the sooner you can do that. And obviously you do it in like a very appropriate, respectful way, but brands do start to treat you differently and they treat you as a business owner and it becomes a very strong two-way relationship instead of the what I, I feel like has happens most of the time is you know this like oh it's just this disposable freelancer pushover they take advantage of you they pay you late they don't pay you you know all these other things but it sounds like you've been really good about standing up and saying no you're going to pay me in advance for the month and this is what we're going to agree to and like calling the shots on some of the things.
1: Yeah, I think I think part of it is like why, I, you know, like I think I I try to bring why into my business as much as I can because I believe that when business businesses think about that, it's it's the way you operate. It just makes so much sense. I love Simon Sinek too, so there's that. But um,
0: oh, I love that book too. So yeah. That, yeah, we'll link to that Simon the Simon Sinek book in the in the show notes. Um, start with why. So
1: like. Why do I need to be paid in advance? The real question is because the only way for me to plan my schedule and to make sure that I can meet the needs of my clients, especially given the, the workload I have, is, is to know in advance. And so by, by booking in advance, you, you're ensuring that I don't take in any other clients that will be you know shift my priorities so that I can't take care of your work. And honestly, I think it, it just makes so much sense to everybody. Everybody, when I explain it like that, 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 you know, it's, it's for them and for me. It's so that I have the faith that my, my work is like, I don't have to like go like struggle and like be worried that I'm not going to be able to feed my family or yeah. something. Like I know it's there and I don't, I don't have to go keep fighting for more business because I have enough, you know?
0: Yeah. I love that. Um, so, Okay. So I lost train of thought where we were before that. Cause I got so excited about the fact that like you put your foot down as a freelancer and you're like, no, this is how you're going to take care of me. And it's going to, you know, it's going to be a, a two-way relationship. Um, so, okay. So then you did some pitching and you're, and you're figuring out pricing and contract. Oh, right. So for the pricing, so you're doing, um, mostly hour, but you commit to a certain amount of hours per month. So you can plan accordingly, which is really, really valuable for you and for the brand, I think.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's it's great. And yeah. I think, um, you know, we, we, sometimes it adds and flows and like we, we can be flexible and we need more time because, yeah. because, you know, you just, you never know when you're going to have to, you know, fit something thing very urgently or whatever. But, um, for the most part, this works really, really well for, for me.
0: That's awesome. And how do you come to that agreement? Do you like get a contract signed or what is, what does that look like to come to the commitment of like, okay, we're going to do X hours per month at this rate, blah, 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 whatever the other details are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually one of my favorite things, uh, that I use is called hello bonsai and it's an invoicing and like CRM tool.
0: Oh, I've not heard of it. Hello bonsai. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can, I can, I can build uh, my contracts from there. I, you can make proposals if you want. Um, you know, I can do my time log in in there. I, I basically every part of the like admin stuff is done through Hello Bonsai. so it really allows it allows me to not worry about it so much because they have a lot of like built in free contracts that are just like design and development, or like are like mutual NDAs, or all of these like things that are just they're just easy, you know, and. Uh, so I just kind of just kind of have everybody sign a, co- a regular contract and then uh, um, as soon as they do that, you know, we we send the first invoice over and get
0: started. That's amazing. And do you have have you had any um trouble cuz I've I've heard mixed feedback on people saying that they've lost projects because they asked the client to sign a contract. So all of a sudden everything's going great. And then you as the freelancer say, okay, well here's my contract to sign to commit to the workload and the pay rate and all that stuff and they lose the project.
1: I have never once lost a project because I asked somebody to sign a contract. Okay. Never
0: never once. Okay. I've heard that happen a couple times, but I but I I think it's with like the really big brands that like have you know, they have the people lined up, willing to be the. You know, I I hate saying this it has such a negative tone, but like, to just be the pushover and just do whatever they say they're going to do, and and the the brand controls the whole relationship.
1: I mean, I guess I I I don't know. I mean, I've had, had big big companies sign my my contract too. Okay. And honestly, they've paid well. Like they paid on time. They paid through their own system or whatever. They don't always pay through my invoicing, but. Um, I think to be honest, I think it's about choosing the people you work with carefully Okay. because I, I would say that I would not work with anybody that wouldn't sign a, con- sign a contract. If yeah. you're hesitant to sign a contract to me, that is a big old
0: red flag.
1: It is right. I
0: know. I totally agree.
1: Yeah, I, I like, you're giving me a great signal that I don't want to work with you, so I won't work with you. But, <laughs> but like, as much as it um,
0: sounded great, and the project, and maybe I needed the money, and all those other things, cool. like, that's the first thing that's going to go wrong, and then there's going to be a whole slew of other things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I think, uh, and, and a lot of the time, is like, those people aren't seriously committed, either. Like, they're halfway out the door. Like, that's part of why, like... Good business people, people they believe in contracts. Contracts protect you. Contracts have yeah. both parties. It doesn't yeah. make any sense to to avoid that. You know. Yeah, it, it gives you clear instructions on what to expect.
0: We have a whole episode. Um, we'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, I, did you listen to it? With, I did with Andrea. Yeah, I I, I loved it. <laughs> it's a great interview. So and it's an interview with um Andrea Sager and she's a lawyer who works with creatives and fashionistas um to help themselves protect themselves. Um, that was a terrible sentence to help themselves protect. It doesn't matter. Um, and anyway, so she we talk all about contracts as a freelancer. And, you know, what you do include, what you don't include, how you draft them up yourself, you know, when you do need to get a lawyer involved. Um, hint, you don't really need to get a lawyer involved. You can do this all yourself. So we'll link to that. It's a great episode for anyone out there freelancing, trying to figure out how the whole contract space, because I know it's something people worry about a lot. Um, and actually, I think in that conversation, she and I talked a little bit about presenting yourself as a business, as a freelancer, and having the confidence to stand up and say, you know what, no, here's my contract. Like, I'm not just going to do this and let you control the whole relationship I think we did talk about that a little bit in that conversation um but I'm really glad to hear that you've had such success with that uh that's amazing and something I definitely promote and and am a big advocate for so I'm really really excited um is there anything else we missed on like all your freelancing endeavors you've shared so many great tips and advice um anything other big lessons you've learned recently that you that you wish maybe you knew going in Well, I think
1: I think one of the lessons that I that I've kind of come across recently that I think is interesting, um, you know, when I first started fearless, I I didn't even consider freelancing to use that as like a a means to help with it, and so I think uh, like going at it now, like if I wanted to and i had i still had the time assuming you know i, I wasn't completely booked booked up um i i could work on a, my own side project now and like chip chip away at it because it's it's a marathon not a sprint and so instead of like putting myself into this position where i felt like i had to get everything into to the like fastest path possible or whatever and burn myself out really fast instead of doing that like i could make it much more of a long game and i can do it little by little and I can use the networks and the people I have now so that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like such a monumental task. So I think, you know, using freelance as a tool to also get your own thing built is a great idea. If you really want to pursue your own company or your own product and you, you don't know how to get it going. Like maybe you should think about getting something going for somebody else because, that also inspires you a lot and might give you the next great idea for yourself.
0: Yeah. Why do you think you didn't think about going that route back when you were starting Fearless, which you were starting on the side while you were working full-time, but why didn't you, at that stage, you said you didn't think about doing freelance and building Fearless on the side of freelance? Why not?
1: I think I I thought that freelance was too hard, I, I had forgotten, like, I mean, I had known what it was like when I did it the first time, but I had not realized what I, what I knew would be, um, valuable. And I I, I don't think I realized how far I had come Uh... and that that I like, if I did it again, it would be a lot different, you know? Yeah. It, it, It took me a while to realize that. Freelancing had changed,
0: and I had changed too. Yeah, you know? kind of like when you had that one interview that went so badly, and you were really scarred from it. And then you were going into that one in the city, yeah. and you were like, oh, "I should just turn around because interviews are terrible yeah. and they suck and they're so hard and I'm gonna, they're going to deny me in five seconds." Um, but you had come so far, and you were a lot, a lot more maybe. And maybe you were still prepared for that first interview, which just the person was mean. But um, <laughs> but still, things were different the second time around. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I think if you, I think if you can learn like lessons from your your failures, that's like the most important thing.
0: Yeah. So this is. Yeah. 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 Um, and you guys, I want, I, um, dear listener, take, make a note of some of the books that we talked about, uh, big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. I love that book. I actually listened to it on audio, but I really enjoyed it as well as, um, start with why by Simon Sinek. I think those are great books to sort of, um, dig a little bit into your mental space and, um, just explore, you know, what might be good for you right now. Um, but beyond that, the whole failure thing, I want to just add this really interesting side note. So, um, my, it's interesting, I think working, depending on what your work experience has been, um, a lot of people have worked for big brands or, you know, they, their job, they go in, they do the thing, they go home, so on and so forth. And my, and this came up in a conversation with Tara, who's my assistant, um, in successful fashion designer. And she said to me, she, she, I had her working on some projects and they didn't succeed and I was like, okay, no big deal. Like, we'll move on. Here's what we learned. We'll figure it out next thing we'll move on. And like, I think she had like three projects in a row I had her working on, and like, they didn't really go anywhere. And she's like, I'm feeling really deflated because, you know, I feel like, am I providing any value to the company and all this other stuff because they're failing, they're failing, they're failing. I'm like, I have been, been an, pretty much an entrepreneur and like running my own thing for almost my whole adult life. And I'm very used to, failure is a part of like every day every week every month every year so many things fail and you just figure it out and you go on to the next thing and you learn but uh, but she had said that the job she had come from um, was an office job. And she's like, you know, the tasks were set and I did the task and, and it went off this way and like everything, it wasn't like all this experimental stuff. And so it's just a new pace for her. And I think that that could be true in like the startup world and in the freelance world. And it can feel very different if you're used to coming from, you know, maybe this job where, you know, you go in, you do your sketches, you design, you pick out the colors, you do the tech packs, you know, obviously there's little failures like the fabric doesn't make it on time or that sort of thing, but like not these monumental things. And it takes some getting used to that. That's okay. And that's a pace that you'll get comfortable with and you'll learn and you'll do so much better the next time. And sounds like that's something you're, you're currently experiencing. And maybe that took you a minute to figure out as well. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I always have had the mindset of trying to make an experience better the next time. Yeah. Like I, I like making things more efficient. I like, you know, just doing it right the first time, all of those things. But, um, I, I think, you know, yeah. I actually only read this book recently, but, a uh, Miki Agrawal's, uh, book Disruptor.
0: Oh, I I do not read that, that one. Okay.
1: No, it's really good. Um, but it, she looks at failure in a new light. And I think it's great. She says, instead of calling them failures, what if you called them revelations?
0: Yeah, that's great.
1: Yeah, you know, that's what they are.
0: I love that. So fun. Um, okay. Sorry for my last little side, whole spiel sidetrack on the failure thing, but you said that and it really made me think of like, depending, I think where you've come from, your mindset around failures or revelations can be different and it can, they can feel very jostling if you're not used to it. Um, so we're going to wrap up though, because it's been an hour and you've been yeah. phenomenal, Kristen. Um, so fun to chat with you and hear your story about yeah. where you came from and how you've built your freelance business is amazing. Um, so many great tips for everyone out there listening. I would love to end with the question I ask everybody at the end of the interview. And that is, what is one thing people never, never ask you about working in fashion that you wish they did?
1: Oh, something that they never ask that they wish. Um, That's such a good question. Um, I think... I would I would like more people to ask why I, we don't use more regular people in our advertising.
0: Ah, interesting. I feel like nobody,
1: nobody asks that, and I ask that all the time. Yeah. Like, why do we not see more normal, non-fashion models? <sighs>
0: and it's changing a little bit but maybe not enough i mean it is yeah it
1: is i wish it was would change more but i feel like a lot of people like it's it's just so refreshing to see like normal people using products
0: Yeah, that's that's
1: who is really using. I know you look at these
0: ads and you're like, no, most, 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 most women have the back fat. They do not look like that. I just had a baby four and a half months ago. And let me tell you, it is rough. Like, I thought this weight was going to melt off. It does not melt off. And our bodies go through a lot and it's a battle. So I get it. For sure. I get it. Um, and I shouldn't even say necessarily it's a battle. You know, my, someone said to me once, don't say, oh, I'm going to get my body back. Like, your body completely changes after you have a baby. Like, you don't get it back. It's a new body, and it's a yeah. beautiful body, and you, and that's great. And I'm really trying to embrace that. I know it's easier said than done, but, like, we all have beautiful bodies. doesn't matter shape, size, color, whatever. Um, so, yeah, it would be great to see that embraced a little bit more in the media and in the ads. Yeah. So, awesome, awesome. Um, and wonderful. Where can everybody connect with you and find you online?
1: Um, you can find me on my website, krstnndrsn.com, or on Instagram, the same name, krstnndrsn, um, or, or I'm on Pinterest, I'm on everything, Facebook. Also.
0: Awesome. Okay, we will link to all of that in the show notes so people can connect with you. And thank you again so much for your time and sharing your story, Kristen. Yes, thank you so much,
1: Heidi. It was great
0: thank you so much for listening and thank you so much to two people behind the scenes that make this episode and the entire successful fashion designer podcast possible my husband mark who handles all of the tech and editing and my right hand girl tara who does so much to coordinate the interviews uh, make sure everything gets published on apple Podcasts and beyond and the website and gets out to you guys so that you can listen uh, really really a big team working not a big there's three of us but it's still a team and we work really hard to get the show to you so i hope you guys appreciate that if you do enjoy the show um, we put a lot of work into this and I know it's so valuable to so many of you because you've told me um, if you have not left us a review on Apple Podcasts, I would be so grateful for that they are very very hard to get they really take 30 to 60 seconds so they're super easy to do so if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do me a solid and it's the best way you can say thank you for uh, all the work that we put into the show that um is by giving us a review on apple podcasts and i'm so grateful for each one of those it also helps the show get out to more listeners and helps more people discover it so there's my humble beg um to get a podcast review from you i really appreciate that and as always a quick reminder that sfd is way more than just a podcast i also have tons of free tutorials on your dream job careers freelancing portfolios illustrator tech packs so many things on the industry um head on over to soheidi.com email it's s-e-w-h-e-i-d-i.com email to get all of the best of my best stuff and as always if you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode check out the scroll notes the scroll notes check out the show notes by scrolling down wherever you're listening thanks again and i'll talk to you in the next episode of the successful fashion designer podcast